0: the only daily premier league podcast this is football social daily
1: hello and welcome along to the premier league weekend review show right here on the Football Social Daily. All 20 teams in action this weekend, and despite a bit of a slow burn in Saturday, it's been a cracker of a Sunday afternoon. Liverpool offering a timely reminder of their place at the top of the Premier League table. 1-0 for the Reds at Anfield against Manchester City. Feels a bit like a statement, and we'll be delving into the latest from Merseyside, in part one of tonight's show. But alongside that, we'll also be checking in on the actual table toppers, that's Arsenal. It might've been lights out at Elland Road, but Bukayo brought the heat. 1-0 for the Gunners, keeps them top of the shop as Manchester United and Newcastle battled out a nil-nil draw. So three games to come in part one of the show. In part two, we're going to be covering Tottenham's return to winning ways and the Friday night lights at Brentford as Ivan Tony and the Bees stung the seagulls. Bit of a weird animal analogy there, but that's the kind of mood that we are in on a Sunday night. And then to wrap it all up, we'll be going around the grounds to cover the five remaining Premier League matches. So a busy night with plenty to get through. My name's Fergal Brennan, and on Sunday duty, we have a Stretford Paddock duo. Yes, but they found themselves at opposite ends of Old Trafford today. Sunday veteran Jay Motti. Jay, how's things?
2: Yeah, not too bad. It feels weird coming on here after, and it's not been a demoralising defeat. I'm usually on here licking my wounds, so it wasn't wasn't exactly great today, but not too bad.
1: Yeah, the thrills and thrill thrills and spills even of a nil-nil draw. Jay will be able to spin as a bit of a yarn on that one, uh, and making his football social debut. A fairly chipper magpie, not Marley. Ethan James, Ethan, welcome, and how are we doing?
0: Thank you very much, Fergal. Yes, very well. I loved some of your puns that you used in the intro there. So that's lifted my spirits even more after getting a point at Old Trafford. So I'm very well, thank you.
1: Ethan has just secured himself a permanent contract here with, uh, <laughs>
2: with
0: the Football Social Daily. Jay
1: will, of course, be getting his uh, Mino Raiola agent cut for that. We'll, we'll sort those details out later, guys. Don't worry about it at all. Right, uh, we're going to move to the big one from Sunday afternoon. Liverpool won, Manchester City nil. Ethan, I'm going to throw to you first on this because. Liverpool, this was a a game that was billed as a bit of a test for them. Have they fallen away significantly this season? Would they be able to respond to a Manchester City side going to Anfield on the back of such a strong start to the season? And the answer was yes. 1-0. Mohamed Salah. It was a bit like the old days. Mohamed Salah scoring against Manchester City and getting a big result for Liverpool at Anfield. Maybe wasn't as box office as we anticipated, but the final half an hour was excellent and the three points are Liverpool's.
0: What a result for Liverpool Fergus. So important. Um, they've had a dismal start of the season after nine games. Uh, they've now just managed to pick up the third win. Uh, but they, they, they needed it, Liverpool. They needed it. Um, those top four uh, places are going to be difficult to keep up with if they continued the form that they had at the moment. Um, Man City didn't look like they would uh, lose this season um, from what we've seen from them so far. So. For Liverpool, who have been completely out of form, to get this win is huge to put their season back on track.
1: Jay, we, we laugh about this whenever you're on, and it's Liverpool or Man City, and it's it's anything remotely positive to say about either of them, but just looking at Liverpool in isolation based on this performance and this result, this has become a, a huge game alongside some of the other massive Premier League matches that we, we look forward to every season, and Every Liverpool fan will have had nerves leading into this. It's not been an ideal start to the season. Their key players have been struggling for form. Trent Alexander-Arnold, Virgil van Dijk, even Salah who, who got the winning goal today. Alexander-Arnold came on super late as a substitute, but van Dijk did a really good job of shackling Erling Haaland and then Salah getting that all-important goal. Liverpool fans will be going home pleased tonight. But is it too soon to say they're back?
2: Yeah, it probably is a little bit premature. I think the signs have been have been there though. I thought they were very. Well, I know you might disagree, but Britain lucky against Arsenal. A few decisions that could have gone either way went against them. Um, Rangers were terrible, but it was a big win. And getting that six minute hat trick obviously helped Mohamed Salah. Like you say, he's not been that consistent this season well that was certainly you know something that would have given him a boost and then today he looks more like the the Liverpool of a, a couple of seasons ago where it wasn't all plain sailing and you know as they always do when he plays City especially Anfield he did ride the luck a little bit um, but there was certainly a, a much better Liverpool side than we've seen earlier in this season I've seen him a few times especially obviously when they came to Old Trafford and they just didn't look at the races at times. They were losing 50-50 battles, and some of them just didn't look up for it, and like you were saying there. Some of the the the, the bigger players weren't having a, a, a good time of it, but today they did. And to be honest with you, even though they didn't they did, you know get a bit of the rub of the green with, with the decision and whatnot, they could have actually got a few more goals. Salah you know, produced a great save from um, Edison, and Nunes, who came on, really had a couple of opportunities to play play someone in where he got the wrong side of the defence so it could have actually ended up being two or three nil and you'd be sat going oh Liverpool just you know turned over Manchester City but yeah I think I think they just about deserve the three points and unfortunately for me because as a United fan I thought Liverpool might be slipping down that table for a little while and may struggle to get top four if they carry on the way they've been playing over the last couple of weeks I think they'll be nailed on to sort of be there or thereabouts.
1: Just looking at Manchester City, Ethan, before we move on, Pep Guardiola was asked after the game about a couple of controversial refereeing decisions, one of them being disallowing Phil Foden's goal for a foul against uh, Erling Haaland in the build-up. He was obviously frustrated, but he was relatively pragmatic about how difficult it is for his Manchester City side to play at Anfield. No Manchester City fan is panicking after this. Frustration, irritation because of the rivalry that's built up between them in the last few seasons and obviously the cold, hard reality of the Premier League table. But how do Manchester City react to this? They've not been blowing teams away so far this season in the way that maybe we expected them to do, particularly given Liverpool's struggles in the first month or so. But this is a a psychological blow in the sense that Liverpool are still their current Rival. He said this before the game that they are the biggest rival they've got at the moment. Jurgen Klopp's been his biggest managerial rival ever, which is maybe a bit of a backhanded compliment. How do City rally themselves and react to this?
0: They'll bounce back. They'll bounce back straight away, Ferg. I don't think we need to worry too much about Manchester City. They've got the world's best players in there. And if they keep that man Erling Haaland's fit up top, they'll win more games than they do it this season, that's for sure. (laughs) But yeah, they just need to get back into... um, I'm not too sure who they've got uh, next game. But um, listen, Manchester City are are the best team in the world in my opinion they've got so many players in, in 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 that squad of just such good quality they can mix it around a little bit they can change things up if they want to it's not going to be a problem for them in the future I don't think we should worry too much about Manchester City's confidence no. and
1: Jay you definitely won't be worrying uh, for them they're not playing in midweek uh, it is Brighton at home which is the mm. next time uh, they feature uh, they've only failed to score in uh, sorry Erling Haaland just a quick touch on him he's only failed to score in one Premier League uh, game this season. Scott Parker and Jurgen Klopp are the only two managers to keep the uh, Nordic meat shield quiet in the Premier League. And uh, let's see how long that lasts because he could uh, just batter Brighton when they take them on next time round. Right, moving on, Jay, we're going to go to Elland Road. There was a bit of a power outage. Anyone that's struggled with... uh, Phone chargers, laptop chargers will have had a bit of sympathy for Leeds United. This game was postponed for 48 minutes due to a local power outage. VAR was the big sufferer, which most of us will probably be delighted with. But eventually, on-pitch action, uh, got back underway. And a 1-0 win for Arsenal. And a third successive winning goal for Bukayo Saka. Now, I'm a huge fan of him. Not just because of Arsenal. Because he seems like a wonderful human being and a cracking player. So, Jay... Three winners on the run for a guy who doesn't play necessarily as an out-and-out forward. That's fantastic form. How good is Bukayo Saka right now?
2: No, you have hit nail on the head. You know he is playing very well, and I was impressed with him. I don't want to keep making it about United, but I obviously saw him at Old Trafford, and he—he he gave Tyrone Malassia a torrid afternoon. Um, and he's been through a lot, like you say. You know, in the summer we saw that some of the treatment he got, which was disgusting. And he's bounced back. He's shown that character. To, to not let it get to him, to to, to keep going. And, and Arsenal are flying. Yes, they are getting a, the odd sort of decision going their way, but you can't deny that they're playing well. And he's a big part of the reason that they're sat on top of the table right now. And, you know, I don't often say this about many players for other teams, but yeah, there is a likability to the lad. And I'm almost glad for him, after what he's been through, to see him doing so well. Almost. <laughs>
1: Almost, I think. I think most Arsenal fans will uh, will take that. Ethan, just looking at Leeds' situation, it's not been pretty for them in the last couple of weeks. Just two points from the last six Premier League games. We're going to talk in depth later on about managers under pressure. I don't necessarily think that Jesse March is is in the danger zone, as it were, just yet. But Leeds do need to kick themselves into life. They've got Leicester away in midweek and then Fulham at home next weekend before taking on Liverpool at the end of October. He probably needs to get himself some positive points from those games to avoid, in two weeks' time, us talking about him being under big pressure.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Chester Marsh did have a good start of the season, um, but then obviously that's dropped off very recently. To be honest with you, uh, Fergal, I think Leeds being 15th in the Premier League is probably where you expect a team like Leeds to be. Um, But like you said, they need to to get things back in gear. They need to pick up that form uh, that they had at the start of the season. You remember that 3-0 win over Chelsea. That looked like Leeds were going places. They were near the top of the table. Um, But they've dropped off recently. I like Jesse Marsh. I think he's done well since he's come in at Leeds um, under Bielsa. They were getting battered every week towards the end. Obviously, Bielsa was brilliant there. But the the latter days, uh, the later days of his uh, career there weren't going so well. So I think I like Jesse Marsh. I think he can um, get Leeds back into uh, top gear. But like I said, 15th for Leeds. To be honest, I kind of expect that. Yeah, uh, it's a difficult one to
1: gauge, but he definitely is in that group of managers that could find himself under some big pressure in the next couple of weeks. Moving on to a manager that is probably not under pressure either, Eric Ten Hag. Jay, you were at Old Trafford today, not... The most spectacular performances, either from United or from Newcastle. The two Uniteds at Old Trafford, two shots on target for both of them, but no goals. United obviously saved by Scott McTominay in midweek in the Europa League from uh, an embarrassing point against Omonia Nicosia. Eric Ten Hag said he was disappointed by the results, but pleased by the performance. Would you agree with that?
2: I think he's been slightly kind there and it might be saying that in public and and may say other things I mean we did have a lot of the ball especially in the final third but some of our passing was just not good enough it was it was actually woeful at times and also our finishing Marcus Rashford had a a very good chance at the end with a header he could have won us the game and I think Fred who I've kind of got a bit of a soft spot for Fred But that was arguably his worst game I've seen him play for Manchester United. He was just he's so many moves broke down when it got to him, and just it just highlighted how much we rely on Christian Eriksen. I think United have scored something like thirteen goals this season, which is the least of anyone in the top ten, other than Bournemouth. And it kind of showed today. It's not just that we're not, you know, finishing chances. We're not creating enough chances, and when you've got players like. Ronaldo when he started and Jadon Sancho Anthony you should be creating chances with those with those attackers and we just weren't and I think a lot of it was that that sort of final ball was just disappointing it really was and it was a frustrating afternoon Newcastle defended well and they had a, they didn't have loads of chances they had a couple of chances especially in the first half but all in all for me it just highlighted how much work there is left to do at man united because yes we've had a, a relatively decent run of late other than that you know that loss against city i think we've been you know on, on decent form but it's just a bit of a reminder that there's still a long way to go and we could probably do with another three or four signers before we get to to where we want to be.
1: Taking the Newcastle perspective, Ethan, just one Premier League win on the road for Eddie Howe's Magpies so far this season. You wouldn't necessarily have been going to Old Trafford expectant of a win, but given how overall positive it's been for Newcastle this season and the fact that Manchester United are kind of stuttering in between little bursts of form, is there a small part of you as a Newcastle fan that thinks this might have been a chance to catch United on a bit of an off day and get a big win, or are you happy to just point in the bag? United is always a difficult away game and move on.
0: Well, what I always say, Fergal, being a Newcastle fan, whenever you play one of the teams in the top six, uh, you go there and it's a bonus game. If you get anything from it, it's a bonus. And getting a point from this match is a good point for Newcastle. Um, But like you said, Man United have haven't been performing too too well of late. I watched the Ammonia game the other day where they had thirty four shots and only managed to score one in the dying embers. Um, That gave me confidence going into this game that we could keep Man United out, and we did do that. Newcastle did defend really well. um, Newcastle did also have a couple of chances of their own, uh, most notably Joelinton Linton when he hit, hit the bar, then hit the post just a few seconds later. He really should have scored that. But then again, on the other hand, hang on a minute, Fred should have scored pretty much from a, an open goal when it was squared to him from Rashford when Pope was in no man's land. And then, of course, um, th- there was another opportunity as well with Rashford right at the end where he put his head out wide. So to reflect on it neither team really had too many chances but man united really could have stole it at the end so i'm quite relieved to get a point
1: yeah, uh, just a quick look at the Premier League table before we to, do take a break based on the teams that we've been chatting about. Arsenal still top, 10 games played, 27 points. Manchester City, after losing away at Liverpool, stay second with 23. Manchester United, 5th, 9 games played, 16. Newcastle edging up to 6 just behind them on 15 points. Liverpool's win over City brings them up to 8th, but they do have a game in hand and they've got 13 points on the board. Right, we are going to take ourselves a little little break after the break we're talking Spurs back on track for Antonio Conte and it was an important game for two England colleagues Harry Kane and Jordan Pickford going head to head they're guaranteed to be on the plane to Qatar but will Ivan Tony be joining them two brilliant goals from him on Friday night Gareth are you watching we're going to be talking about all of that in just a sec
0: Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never
1: miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at
0: sport social.co.uk.
1: Welcome back to Sunday night's edition of the Football Social Daily Premier League. Weekend review show. Before the break, it was Liverpool's big, big three points against Manchester City. Table toppers Arsenal keeping their form going at Leeds, and then a bit of a dismal 0 0 at Old Trafford. Newcastle getting a point away in Manchester. So we're going to move on to a couple more of the big talking points from this weekend. Jay, Spurs 2, Everton 0. Antonio Conte speaking after the game about getting back on track in the Premier League in terms of winning. And this. Wasn't the most... i continuing a bit of a theme here of not the most exciting games to talk about. The big talking point came between Harry Kane and Jordan Pickford. We've seen Harry Kane in this position many, many times. He can smell it. He gets that whiff of a penalty in his nostrils and he's already on the floor. Now, there's so many different views on this of jordan pickford shouldn't be putting himself in that position harry kane's entitled to go for the ball if a goalkeeper or a defender puts himself there a striker is going to go down how do you view all of this when when you you know get it down into super slow motion there's a coming together there's a potential foul harry kane does make sure that the referee sees you know absolutely every aspect of it is this as cut and dry of if jordan pickford is in that position it's a penalty or are we seeing Harry Kane again, maybe getting a little bit of an
2: edge because of who he is? Um, I don't know if it's who he is. I mean, there's always been this argument that England um, captains get away get away with a lot. Um, I think it's he's just using a bit of his experience and he's he's sort of you know being a bit savvy if you want to call it. You might call it a little bit stronger word than that and say he's he's cheating, but he knows what he's doing he knows exactly where you know where he's going he knows he's not going to get to the ball and he's just sort of leaving his leg there and and hoping that he gets a decision and he's managed to get it I don't know if it's, he's got it because he's Harry Kane I think it is soft for me I saw it and I didn't think it was I didn't think it was a I thought he's just sort of he's bought it if you will but this is the sort of the times we live in as well. It's like players know now, especially with VAR, and one of the problems with VAR is often, you just mentioned it there, things get slowed down when they watch it, and it always looks worse when it slow down, and it makes it look more dramatic and more sort of impactful. Um. So I think, yeah, I think Harry Kane there has just done what he, he, he needed to do to get a penalty, and really for me, it shouldn't have been a penalty, but I'm not in the least bit surprised he got given. Because I think that he knew what he was doing, and and you know, despite the fact we in an ideal world you won't get away with that one. He has done. On the opposite side, Frank
1: Lampard was fairly straightforward about the results. He was obviously frustrated about the incident between Harry Kane and Jordan Pickford that effectively decided the game and denied Everton any chance of even getting a point in in North London. But back to back defeats they obviously followed on from back to back wins, which were the only two games that they've won this season. And. Everton are a better side than the one that was battling to stay in the Premier League last season, that's plain to see, but maybe this idea that they've massively advanced, that they're now a solid Premier League mid-table team again, are a little bit wider the mark. They have had some positive results, but they've followed that up with some pretty poor results, and... I don't think Frank Lampard, again, similarly to Jesse March, is necessarily in the sack race as it stands. One of the strangest things that I'm reading as I'm speaking to you now is that he's currently seventh most likely to be the next Premier League manager to be sacked behind Jurgen Klopp. I don't know if that's been uh, updated since today's game, but as it stands, he's in the stronger position uh, on the, the blue side of Stanley Park. Do you think Maybe Everton are maybe a little bit going through the motions as it is. They are better, they've got better players in the team, but without really
0: motoring away from the situation that they found themselves at the at the back end of last season. Well, one thing that they have done well is they've tightened up at the back a little bit more, which they were struggling with uh, last year. I think there was a, a a couple of games ago, maybe nobody had conceded fewer goals than Everton. Um, I, I think that was the case. So they've tightened up in that respect. And that's really important when you're going to go into what I think is going to be another relegation battle for Everton this year. To be honest with you, I, I, again, uh, Fergal, we talked about Leeds before, and maybe Jesse Marsh might be in trouble with them being 15th in the league and sinking towards the relegation zone. I, I I again think 14th for Everton is probably where they're expected to be you can't sack all these managers all the time when uh, they're struggling but I, I think Lampard has calmed it a little bit I remember results like last year on the last day of the season I think they lost 5-1 to Arsenal we're not really seeing Everson get, getting battered anymore and they're trying to control it a little bit more so maybe having I think it's a 5-3-2 at the minute is benefiting them a lot um, but again um, it's Everton aren't going to set the world alight, and I think we just need to accept that. Jay, what's your take on this? I I
1: personally would agree with Ethan, this idea that Everton, the squad that they've got, the manager that they've got right now, are probably around that 10th to 14th uh, when the Premier League shakings finally get unveiled at the end of the season. I think if they finished in that zone, they'd be relatively okay. But we know that Everton fans don't want that. The money they've invested, the status of the club within the Premier League, within English football, and the... The, the perceptions of the fan base that Everton deserve more. They want to be doing more. Liverpool have been very successful in the last few seasons. That also has a knock-on effect on expectations on the other side of the city. Liverpool fans will hear what I've just said or hear what... Sorry, Everton fans will hear what I've just said or Ethan's just said and say, no, we want more, but the likelihood is they're probably not going to get it. And when you find yourself with a fan base that wants Europa League and a squad and a manager that's probably only going to get you mid-table... You could have an issue.
2: Yeah, I think the, the the trouble that Everton have got. I mean, they've just spent so much money and wasted so much money over the the, the, the years. We, you know, we talk about this almost every week. Over, we've been speaking about it on this podcast every, uh, you know, every season. And they've gone through all these different managers. They go from one extreme to another in terms of managers. It never seems to be a continuation of styles. You know, you go from a a Rafa Benitez to a Frank Lampard, or you go from. I don't know, was it like Moyes to Martinez or whatever, or, you know, um, I can't remember, was it Sam Allardyce to Marco Silva? There's no continuity there. It's almost like Manchester United. It's like you go from one manager who's got one style to a different manager who's got a completely different style, and then he wants to bring in his own players. And they've just, I think they've made a lot of poor signings. And to be fair Frank Lampard, I've been quite critical about him as a manager over, well, probably over the years, to be honest. Um... He did, excuse me. He did inherit a bit of a mess from Rafa Benitez. They were, they were in free fall when he got there. He, he kept them up. This season, you know, look at what they did in the transfer market. They've gone out, they've bought Tarkovsky, Mopai. They got James Garner off us, of course. Um, they got the kid off Burnley as well, as it, Blightman McNeil.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I mean, these are okay signings. Um, Garner gave back Fuzz, PSG. With,
1: um,
2: yeah. And Garner, yeah. who's come in as well. These are, you know, these are decent signings, but I don't think where the way they've spent money this summer, especially after where they finished last season, that you'd look at them and go, "Oh, this is it now. They'll be challenging for the top six or seven or whatever." I think Ethan's right. I think Everton are probably there or thereabouts where you'd expect them to be. Now, is there a manager that can come in and 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 turn that around, or is it you know is it going to be a case of sticking with Frank Lampard and trying to see what he could do longer term? I just think. Everton are in um, all sorts of trouble sort of long term because of what's gone on before because they've wasted so much money and I don't think they're in a position to spend the kind of money that you probably need now to get you right on the table and they may have to stick with Lampard or with someone else if he comes in and give them a bit of time to build something because that's another problem they've had they've not had a manager in who's really built anything it's a manager's come in for a season or two or even less in the case of Rafa Benitez then been cut off and someone else has come in to sort of pick up the pieces and they're just in this ever um, sort of never ending cycle and I do feel for Everton fans I know a few Everton fans and the good lads it must be horrible when you look and you see what Liverpool are doing and you know they're winning trophies all the time and you've spent money and you're struggling but I just I, I think that in you know, all honesty I think Everton are sort of stuck at the minute I just I don't know what the answer is for them because they haven't got a massive amount of money to spend and it would probably take another massive amount of spending to get them up into that sort of top six conversation
1: Yeah, Uh, we're going to move on from Saturday night's action backwards. We're going to go to uh, Friday night at the Brentford Community Stadium. Really timely win for Thomas Frank's side. They've not been great in the last few weeks. First three points in Premier League action since the start of September. But, Ethan, the big talking point, as often is the case when it comes to Brentford, is Ivan Toney. Two goals, one of the cheekiest of cheeky backheels, and then, as usual, A penalty, this is absolutely crazy, of 27 penalties he's taken in his professional career, he's put 26 of them in the back of the net, which is an incredible record, and, as expected, he was asked about England after the game. Thomas Frank was also asked... I've talked to Jay about this a number of times, so I'm going to get your take on this. He was called up by Gareth Southgate uh, in September for the for Nations League games, and he wasn't used. That doesn't seem to have dampened his enthusiasm for wanting to be called up, but he was very calm after the game, and he effectively said it's Gareth Southgate's decision. The preliminary squad is going to be announced next week. He might be in it. He might not be in it. He doesn't seem to be hanging his hat on being in there, but his goal record, his penalty record... And the fact that he genuinely is banging form means that he has to be within a shout. But my gut says when the final squad is announced, Garrett Southgate will bottle it.
0: <laughs> well, I, I think that Ivan Tony has to be going on the plane to the World Cup listen he must be England's second best striker after Harry Kane I can't think of anyone else who can be above him Dominic Calvert-Lewin hasn't been doing much since he came back from injury um, Tammy Abraham is, is, is doing decent in, in Italy um, Callum Wilson he's injury prone and he's not really been doing too much of late since he's came back Ivan Tony is the informed striker at the minute and what else can he do to get into that England squad I'm not too sure. I feel like Gareth Southgate has to pick him. Um, obviously, I would imagine he would be probably a substitute um, at the World Cup to uh, Harry Kane, but he definitely needs to go. Um, like I said, I don't know what else he can do. You saw the game the other day against Brighton, how much confidence was in that cheeky flick to put that uh, ball into the back of the net for, for the first goal, and then uh, the penalty later on. Um, I mean, he's. You he said he scored 26 out of 27 penalties. He's just so confident. And you need that kind of confidence um, in tournament football in the World Cup. I mean, what if it gets to a penalty shootout and things like that? We need to consider that we could have had. Uh, we could have won the Euros if we had better penalty takers. So I think definitely having someone like Ivan Toni in the World Cup will be so important for England to have uh, a good chance of success. Jay, before we grab another break, what's your take on this? As I say, we chatted about this a few weeks
1: ago when Tony was in hot form then as well and knocking in goals and scoring penalties. Ivan Tony's done everything that Ivan Tony can do and Thomas Frank is is banging the drum for him, which is refreshing when he, he could be staying out of the argument and wanting Tony to have six weeks off during the World Cup so that he comes back fit and fresh and firing. But Tony seems to be wanting to go, Thomas Frank is delighted to see him go, Brentford fans will maybe be torn depending on their persuasion when it comes to England it all comes down to Gareth
2: Southgate now is he going to make this call or is he going to be staying? I think I would totally has to go to the World Cup seriously, I can't think of anything more you'd want from a striker right now, he's banging form, he's obviously hungry he can take penalties which matters it does, we were talking earlier about uh Mikhail Saka bouncing back from the issues he had well issues from morons basically giving him grief for missing a penalty, the same as Marcus Rashford and Jadon Sancho had. You know, we've got a bad record in penalties and penalty shootouts when it comes to England. That's that should be a consideration. And also, as, as Ethan's point out, we haven't got loads of strikers who are, you know, flying. Looks a lot of the strikers who were in England squad a few years ago and are sort of struggling then you go well, actually, you know, can you rely on him? Is You know, Dominic Camden, is he going to make the play? Probably not. Marcus Rashford, I know he's not an out-and-out striker, but he can play down the middle. There's question marks about whether, whether Gareth Southgate fancies in for it. You look at Ivan Toney, banging in goals, scoring penalties. He's earned it. If you look at his career trajectory, he's been through the, the entire league system, I think, from League Two to, to the Premier League, and he's now smashing it. I think it would be criminal if Gareth Southgate doesn't take him, if Gareth Southgate doesn't take Ivan Sona, and England don't do anything in the World Cup, he won't sack him seriously.
1: You heard it here first, right? I said we're going to take a break, but do you know what? We're going to have a quick, we're going to have a quick game. We're going to play the England manager, Ethan. I'm going to go to you first. Obviously, 26 players can go uh, in World Cup squads to Qatar. So roughly speaking, that's probably six forward players. I'm going to rattle off some of the names based on the last 12 months. These are the England forward players that have been called up. So give us a six out of these. Harry Kane, Raheem Sterling, Phil Foden, Bukayo Saka, Ivan Toney, Tammy Abraham, Jared Bowen, Jack Grealish, Ollie Watkins, Marcus Rashford, and Jadon Sancho. So that's 11 that have been called up in the last 12 months that have been classed as forwards. Let's go with six.
0: Who are you picking? Give us, give us six. You're going to have to forgive me because I'm going to forget those names. Okay, so from the ones you've listed, I think... Um, Kane has to go. Foden has been incredible. Um, Raheem Sterling, he'll definitely go, and uh, and he can do a good job for England. Um, <sighs> well,
1: I'll give you the other names. So I'll just we'll just do a straight yes or no. So Kane, mm. Sterling, Foden, yeah, Saka.
0: <sighs> How many places do I have left? Three. Three um,
1: left. Yes, Saka goes. Okay, uh, we'll we'll circle back to Ivan Tony, Tammy Abraham. No. Jared Bowen? Maybe last year. No. Jack Grealish? Yes. Okay, so you've got one space, one seat on the plane. Uh, I don't know if they're flying with Ryanair, so they're going to have to get this book pretty quickly. You've got one <laughs> space left. Ivan Toney, Ollie Watkins, Marcus Rashford,
0: and Jadon Sancho. Who are you taking? I'm taking Ivan Toney. Sorry, Jay, if you wanted Marcus Rashford good. To, to be honest, Mar- Marcus Rashford has been uh, very decent this season, um, mm. although obviously his last touch of a football was putting the, his, his header wide of an open goal. But no, I, I do like Marcus Rashford, but I just feel like we need that other out-and-out centre forward who's trusty in getting those goals. It's so important, and I, I just think Ivan Toney's the man to do that at the minute. I really do. I think he's more clinical than Rashford. Um, so th- that's that's my pick. Jay, are you taking him.
2: <laughs> go on, Jay Southgate, give it to us. Um, I'm not fussed if Marcus doesn't go, to be honest with you. I, I, honestly, I, I, Marcus Rast is probably my favourite player, but after what went on in the summer and also the fact that he's only just getting back to form after what was a horrible season last season, I know he'd want to go, obviously, and, you know, for him it would be good for him to go. But just sort of maybe not having all that drama that often seems to come from Manchester United players in England, as has happened with him in the past, and just focusing on, on his United career at a minute, wouldn't be a bad thing for him, so if Marcus Rashford doesn't go, I wouldn't be that disappointed, to be honest with you, because I just think that, you know, more often than not, it seems to cause more issues for, for Manchester United when, when our players do go to the World Cup, we've had all sorts of horribleness that's gone on over the years and Marcus Rashford, like I said earlier, he's just rediscovering his form, of, the, of those players you mentioned, if it was me and it was my choice who I'd take then I'd probably go Tony Kane Abraham Foden Rashford Saka but I wouldn't be surprised if um, if maybe someone like Jack Grealish gets in ahead of Marcus Rashford because I think Marcus Rashford at one point he was one of Gareth Southgate's guys but he's never been when everyone's fit First team player for England, and also he's coming off the back of a very bad season last season, and this season he's done a lot better. But he's not been flying to the point where you go, you can't ignore him. He's been all right, and I just feel like he needs to make those steps. So yeah, it's it's I mean it's a decent sort of set of choices there. To be honest with you, because I think all those players we've mentioned all bring something different to the team as well, and I think the only one that's a hundred percent. Well, I'd say I'd say the two that are nailed on for me would be Kane and Saka. I think he'd he'd definitely take them, probably Foden as well, and I think the other three places could be any of the others.
1: Mm, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one when the squad gets whittled down. My gut on it is I would absolutely take Ivan Tony, but I think it's very easy when someone hasn't been capped to not take them, and I think. By not playing him in the Nations League games, he's maybe given himself that bit of breathing space to make the decision that he probably shouldn't make. That would that would be my You
2: team. nailed it though, Fergal, you said he was what I think you could call him beige or something or vanilla. Vanilla. Um, vanilla sauce yeah. yeah, no, he is. And you know what? You need a bit of a wild card sometimes, you need someone who's just gonna be, you know, a bit of an unknown quantity. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I'm not saying Ivan Tony's remotely in the same class as Wayne Rooney because he isn't, but there was a time when you know, Sven or ever took a gamble on someone like Wayne Rooney, and he, you know what I mean? He, he smashes it and everyone sits up. You just need someone You you think, okay, don't know a lot about him. Let's give him a go. Do you know what I mean? Let's try it. Some of the, the, the big success stories we've had as England with England over the years has been when you've had that player that's popped up and and took the most of their, their opportunity. And I do worry that one or two players might just be stagnating a little bit for England. They might just be in that comfort zone where, you know, they've been at a Euros final, they've been at a World Cup semi final, they've been in the England squad for a decade, and maybe the hunger and the just the, the that little bit of edge is missing from them from that na- for now. Do you know what I mean? And I think that maybe someone like Tony who comes in, he's hungry, he's got something to prove you know, he's a bit of a, a wild card, he could make a big difference. And if you
1: can play centre-back, there could be a big hole uh, there for somebody to fill. But we're not going to talk about that on today's podcast. We'll get stuck into that in a few weeks' time. Right, we are going to take a break. After the break, we are wrapping up the final five Premier League games. It's been a super busy weekend. We're going to be talking about Gary O'Neill's unbeaten Bournemouth, Steve Davis winning against Nottingham Forest, and more misery for Brendan. When will it end at the King Power? All that to come after the break.
0: Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.
1: Football's
0: Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.
1: Hello, welcome back to Sunday night's edition of the Football Social Daily. We are in Premier League weekend review mode. And the final part of the show might as well be called Manager Merry-Go-Round because there is a big focus on managerial changes, sackings, Interim managers, caretaker managers, and what is coming next for managerial P45s. So, perfect place to start, Jay. Fulham 2, Bournemouth 2. Gary O'Neill is six games unbeaten as Bournemouth boss. Now, if you ask the Bournemouth fan after getting beaten 9-0 away at Liverpool and Scott Parker getting sacked, that Gary O'Neill would come in, have them unbeaten, up into the top half of the table, playing really good football... They'd be absolutely shocked. Now he's doing the classic line of focusing on the next game. I'm not thinking about this. I'm not thinking about that. It's the it's the new owner's decision when the ownership bid is is finally completed. There is always a danger of recency bias. Gary O'Neill has no Premier League credentials. We know that, but the practicality on the ground is he's getting something from the players. They're still unbeaten. And this is a Bournemouth side that we all tip to really, really struggle. They've got 13 points on the board. Like they're based on that form, they're they're gonna be okay to stay in the Premier League this season. Do they owe it to him to give him the job? Maybe not on a long contract, but at least see how it goes and give him the contract that he probably deserves as is.
2: I think so, yeah. I think he's he's forced the issue. I mean, I understand why a new owner might come in. And if you're a new owner, the the sort of, you know, the the temptation is to to, to appoint a manager who's new, to go, you know, this is a new regime. I'm going to bring in this new manager and, you know, this is the dawn of a new era or whatever. But I remember watching Bum a few, well, a couple of months ago and they were terrible. They just looked like they were gone. And to turn it around, to be unbeaten, to get them into into 10th, I don't want you know, the disparaging towards Bournemouth but that's nosebleed tackling it from where they were then I think he's earned that right and I understand it can be a little bit where you make a good point about recency bias because I'm, I don't want to keep making it about United but it's something I can relate to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as caretaker manager had the greatest record of any manager ever his win ratio was better than Fergie's and then as soon as he got the, 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 the job <laughs> that season we, we, we lost 10 of the next 12 games He just all went wrong so it can happen but I think you have to look at what he's been doing game by game. His in-game management's been fantastic. He's got these players motivated. He's got them believing in themselves and playing some decent football as well. Do you know what I mean? So, for me, I think he's earned it. And I think just from a logical point of view, look at where you are. What 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 offers you the least amount of risk? Sticking with Gary O'Neill or getting a new person in? I think getting a new person would be a bigger risk as as the as you know as the Bournemouth owner. I think sticking with him the way he's got these players performing, it's, you wouldn't expect it to change if he's given the job at least at the end of the season. I would, I would definitely think that would be the best idea. At least, you know, let him let him carry on doing what he's doing, and then at the end of the season, you can make an assessment and see where you finished. Because I think that was one of the problems we had with Ollie is we gave, you know, if, if, I mean, some people might argue he deserved to, to stay long, or whatever, but he was given a long term sort of contract just after he started losing a couple of games. And I think had he been waited to the end of the season he probably wouldn't have got that long term deal because the wheels would come off. But I think what Bournemouth could do is he could say, Right, you've got to the end of the season, just keep going and then at the end of the season, you know, if Bournemouth finish down the bottom of the table and go, Right, okay, it's not worked out however or, or if he has kept him in the top ten, then they can extend it. So I think that would be the most logical thing to do, but football on is often not often logical. To, uh, to continue
1: the United theme from what you're saying, somewhere Michael Carrick is, is listening to this and just nodding along and, and throwing darts at his, his picture of Ralph Rangnick because uh, interim managers it can be a blessing, it can be a curse, it, it just depends on, on which way it goes down. Ethan, based on the, the final games that we're talking about tonight, almost every manager involved next week could potentially be sacked. Every club that's involved in this section is either in the process of sacking a manager, hiring a new manager or making a big decision about where they go. Uh, Wolves won, not Nottingham Forest nil Steve Davis getting his first win as Wolves boss. Now Steve Cooper, we all expected that he'd be sacked in the first few weeks of the season. Nottingham Forest doubled down, doubled down and gave him a new contract to as a bit of a show of faith. But their form hasn't changed. They're still struggling just one point from their last 6 Premier League games. That is really really poor. They're bottom of the table based on Leicester getting a draw against Crystal Palace. The new contract won't protect him if this carries on, and they've got a really difficult run of games coming up. They go to Brighton in midweek, Liverpool at home, and then Arsenal away at Halloween. The contract won't save
0: him if they are pointless after those three games. No, it it probably won't. Uh, The thing is, I think Fergal... Forrest were always going to be in this position it doesn't work, you can't spend £100 million on 23 players I think it was and expect it just to work, expect it just to click, yes Forrest lost a lot of players at the end of last season, lots of players were on loan who were originally there but they've just brought in far too many players, okay if they made maybe another like 10 signings or something they could maybe get it working but a completely new squad it was never going to work from the start and to be honest I don't know what manager could get a team of complete strangers playing some good football from the off in the toughest league in the world. I don't think anyone could. We saw Fulham do this a couple of years ago when they spent that kind of money and it didn't work and they went down. Um, yes, I, 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 I quite like that the owner showed faith in Steve Cooper by giving him this contract, but let's be honest, Steve Cooper's going to get sacked this season because Forest aren't going to be performing as what the owner expected. They've already sacked the head of recruitment, I think it was, so I, I can see Steve Cooper going next when things event when things don't work out because I don't think it will work out at all for them this season they're going down
1: uh, Groundhog Day for Leicester City and Brendan Rogers, Jay 0-0 against uh, Patrick Vieira's side at the King Power no goals no inspiration really uh, Gareth Southgate again featuring he was there watching James Madison and a couple of others and Leicester and Brendan Rodgers almost seem stuck together. They're, when when somebody is going to be sacked as a Premier League manager, there almost seems to be a bit of momentum behind it. The momentum to get rid of Brendan Rodgers almost feels like it's reduced. I know there was booze after the game and there was the ridiculous story of midweek of uh, fans emailing in to ask for like joke birthday messages calling for him to be sacked. But the the kind of drive and energy behind trying to get him out of the club actually seems to have reduced. And now there almost seems to be a bedding in of we can't get rid of you for whatever reason. You're not going to walk away because based on his press conference, he's happy to dig in and and get them out of these situations. He's frustrated they didn't get more money in the summer to spend. I would actually be a bit surprised if he's sacked in the next week or so.
2: Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I feel like it, it does, like, you know... The like energy's gone down. out of it a bit. Yeah. There was a couple, a few weeks ago, like a couple of weeks ago, it was like it was peak, where you thought this is it. And now it seems like, like you're saying, it, it does sort of feel like it, there isn't that clamour for him to be sat. Well, certainly not. It doesn't feel like it's going to happen, unless I mean, Leicester fans may disagree and want it to happen. But it's just it's just wearing it like how, you know, you have Southampton who, uh, what are they... Um, three points above Leicester, I think, in all sorts of trouble, and and, and their manager always, always has this sort of continuing question mark around him, but always seems to, to survive. And then you've got Leicester, who had had success under Brendan Rogers. You know, they won the FA Cup, which is no mean feat. Haven't really spent his summer, and yet now it's, it looked like he could he could get sacked. But I don't know. I just feel like he might have weathered that storm. He might have done it. Yeah, it does feel a little bit, a little bit like at least for now he's safe. I mean, I think they've got um, coming up. They've got as it Leeds at home and then Wolves away. Um, I think those are the next two games. I think they are. Those are big games. I think you know if you don't take at least at least three points off those two games, then he could be in trouble again, because then I think they've got City and that could be about seven 0 so. Yeah, he needs. He's you know he's he's still not safe. I think he needs to get some out of these next nice couple of games because the games that he should be able to get something from.
1: Uh, Graham Potter looks absolutely safe and uh, pretty comfortable at Chelsea so far uh, after taking over at Stamford Bridge. Ethan two nil win away at Aston Villa two goals from Mason Mount. Another character that we will be expecting to be on the plane for England. I'm going to talk about another potential sack candidate and that is Stephen Gerrard. He's currently second on the sack race list as it stands. He was fairly straightforward in his press conference after the game. He said the fans have every right to boo. We've been poor particularly at home in the last few weeks and just one Premier League win in their last seven games. His former England teammate Frank Lampard seems to be okay. Could this be Gerrard's final few weeks at
0: Aston Villa? It could well be. I, I might be wrong in this but if i'm correct tell me did gerald make a comment before the game about chelsea should be expected to beat yeah. aston villa yeah what kind of comment is that like it's, just, it's t- a david
2: moyes comment now know. that's the sort of thing moyes used to say at United.
0: yeah literally and that's not going to motivate your players is it it's 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 stupid um so i don't know why i said that listen at the start of the season i think you saw the Aston Villa squad, some of the players that they had, like uh, having Coutinho, Watkins, um, they had some big names in there, a really decent midfield. You thought that Aston Villa could maybe be pushing top half, maybe even getting a European spot, uh, whether that's the Conference League or the Europa League. They could have been in and around those places. Gerrard's been one of the managers who's been, most in the league uh, and, and uh, maybe after Brendan Rodgers um for for the the biggest underperformer so far um so aston villa have been really disappointing i think Gerard could well be gone in the next few weeks um maybe even this week who knows Uh, And then final game
1: of the weekend, Jay, and final sacking story of the weekend. Top of the sack race is Southampton manager, Ralph Harsenhutl. They did manage to get a draw this weekend, one all at home to West Ham, but he is also under pressure. Um, We're basically just playing the sack race uh, in the final part of the podcast tonight. Do you think he is right in that list? Or do you think maybe, with the greatest respect to Southampton, because maybe they're not... In the headlines as much as an Everton managed by Frank Lampard or Aston Villa managed by Steven Gerrard, that that helps him maybe buys him a little bit more time.
2: I don't know. It's just weird with Hassan Hill I and mean, he's he's been under pressure so many times. You know, he's had a, he's he had two nine 9-0 losses on his CV at Southampton and survived, which, them. and so Yeah, you think no, that's the end of that, then, and yet you know he survived that. So I don't know. It's it's weird because. He does he does seem to have a good relationship with the board there. I mean, listen, I might by the time he goes out he might have been sacked so I might be left with egg on my face. But I just get the impression, you know like have them football myths like, you know, Paris Saint Germain only play at night and you know, things like that. Um I think there's, a, you know, one of the misses that Ra- uh, Ralph harsen will be manager of Southampton forever. <laughs> <laughs> Trapped in a, in some sort of vortex. Right,
1: before we go, and I'm going to do my best to get this podcast out before a Premier League manager is sacked. So apologies if we are a bit late. These things do move quite quickly. Just before we wrap up, Ethan, who will be the next Premier League manager sacked?
0: It'll be Brendan Rodgers, Fergal, definitely.
1: OK, Jay, give us your suggestion.
2: I'll go with Gerard
1: to be the next one out the door.
2: Yeah, I think I think his his record it just isn't good enough, and I think you know they got rid of um, is it Dean Smith? Um, yeah. With a similar record, and he'd actually you know got him up. So yeah, I think Gerard will go. But it could be anyone, couldn't it?
1: Mm, yeah, I think I'd be tipping slightly towards Gerard. I think that weird. Uh, pre-game comment didn't do him any favours and then obviously the performance uh, today Harson Hootl seems to have a little bit of a protective ring around him uh, and some of the others just seem to be a little bit safer than Steven Gerrard I- I'd agree with Jay and say that I think Gerrard could be the next through the uh, Premier League trap door Right, we're going to wrap it up for tonight's edition of the Football Social Daily Jay, you're on all the time so I'm not going to ask you this Ethan, do you enjoy your debut? Oh, I loved it. Get me back on, Fergal Great stuff. As debuts go, it was a hell of a solid effort. Jay... (laughs) Um, do you know what? You're like the James Milner of Sunday. I can't resist saying it, but you are. You're like the James Milner, a hidden quality that no one wants to appreciate and you
2: always turn up. So please take I, I that. I can't believe you compare me to a player that played for Leeds, City <laughs> and Liverpool. What I was going to say is, is, please that is take that as the, as the ultimate
1: backhanded compliment that it was meant to be. I will. I'll
2: take, him, I'll take backhanded compliments where I can get them. So I'll let you off.
1: Indeed, indeed. A compliment is a compliment. So uh, yeah, that's it. We're going to wrap it up for tonight's edition. The Guys, we'll be back on duty tomorrow. Monday, as always, is time for a bit of a whinge. There's bound to have been something over the Premier League weekend that has annoyed them, and they're also going to be building up to a midweek schedule of Premier League action. So, plenty to get through. As always, hit subscribe up the top, and you can get access to a brand new show as soon as it is ready. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you soon.
0: Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.